Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast, equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. Thanks for tuning in again to another episode of the Living Leadership Podcast. My name is Paul Coulter. I'm Head of Ministry Operations with Living Leadership. And this is the third part of a four-part series thinking about what it means to love our leaders. In the first episode, we thought about the who, the how, and the what of Christian leadership. And we saw that the task of spiritual leaders in the church is to teach, guide, and watch over God's people. In the second episode, we delved into 1 Timothy chapter 5 for instruction about how to appoint the right people to sustain them in ministry and to remove them if necessary. And now we're turning to 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 12 to 13 to discover the attitude that people in the church should have to those who lead them. Let's hear the words of the Apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonian church. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now again, we see three things, three verbs in these verses. Respect, esteem, and love. Not exactly a love, but uh, not a verb in the case of love, but we can use it as a verb. So we need to consider the ideas behind these three words. First of all, respect. The root idea behind the word translated respect, the Greek eidanai, can be expressed as seeing that becomes knowing. In other words, we should recognize and appreciate our leaders. For this to happen, our leaders must be visible to us. They must be among us. They're not hidden. How else could they be examples to us? But we must also notice what they do. It's immensely demoralizing for a minister who is working hard to hear a member suggesting that he's not doing enough. Just because the pastor isn't doing what we might want doesn't mean that he's slacking. Humble leaders will not make a song and a dance over their labor, but we should notice it if we take care to look. Much pastoral ministry is, by its nature, unseen. We should recognize that it takes hours of sermon preparation in a study to preach well for 30 or 40 minutes on a Sunday. We don't always see pastoral visitation, which can also take many hours. But if we ask people, they'll tell us about it. Respecting our leaders begins with taking notice of them. As well as informally noticing what your leaders do, it's immensely helpful if they have a more structured review, periodically, perhaps yearly. That provides, provides a context for them to speak about the work they've done and to give thanks for it. It also enables the church to assess if they're overworking as many ministers do or underworking as others, in my experience a smaller number, are prone to. When planning a review of a person in spiritual leadership, it's important to think through what is being reviewed and on what basis. This isn't exactly the same as a performance review in other job settings. 
Certainly the leader's performance should be considered. How well are they teaching, guiding and watching over the church? But so should their well-being and that of their families. How is the role the leader is fulfilling, impacting others in his or her household? What's happening to the person's heart as he or she serves God and others? Who is caring for him or for her? Are we providing everything needed for them to serve well? In our experience in living leadership, ministry reviews do not always consider these softer aspects of a ministry role. We have a toolkit available for churches to help them do it better. You can access that through registering for our Living Leadership Leadership Commitments Scheme. It's vitally important that we pay attention to the whole picture of a leader's life, because we can't respect a person if we only consider what he or she does for us. Since we're looking for integrity in our leaders, we must help them to integrate all of life. A holistic review can help with that. The relationship between a minister and a church is a strange one. The minister is both a servant and a leader, and it can be difficult in a review to disentangle the sense of the minister giving a kite from the need for the church to be accountable to him or her. For this reason, a ministry review should be multi-directional, with the leader being asked to give feedback on the church and its care as well. It may also be helpful to involve a person from outside the church in this process, especially if any difficulty is anticipated. When we notice the work of our elders or leaders and know their heart in it, the result will be genuine respect we'll realise just how valuable this work is. We'll want to give them double honour. We'll esteem them highly, which is the second attitude mentioned in these verses. The second expectation of church members concerning their leaders, Paul says, is that they should esteem them very highly. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast series, church leaders are not highly esteemed in the Western world. They may have been in the past when most people identified at least nominally as Christian and when lead ministers had a high social status, but no longer. They are more likely to be seen as crazy or irrelevant. And we shouldn't think the same within the church. I noticed during the COVID pandemic that most churches prayed for key workers, meaning mental health and physical health and social care workers and others who kept emergency services functioning. Now, it was right that we valued those people and prayed for them. We even clapped for them at the doorstep. But it struck me as odd that in the church, we didn't also classify ministers as key workers. Did we really think their ministry of soul care is less important than care of the body? What did this do to the psychology of our ministers? The lack of esteem in which we hold Christian leaders is not only evident in our failure to call them key workers, it's also seen in the relatively low pay we give those who are supported in Christian work. It's hardly double honour, and it's evident in how we speak about them. Too often Christians engage in unhealthy gossip and criticism of their leader. They don't speak well of them and they allow others to speak badly about them. They don't bring concerns to the leaders as they should, but spread them around the church. They make wrong assumptions about how little the workers do 
or how easy their job is. The word translated esteem in First Thessalonians 5, the Greek hegeistai, is related to the word translated leader in Hebrews 13, that's hegeomai. It means that just as our leaders have the leading thoughts in the church's decisions, the greatest influence, so we should give them the leading place in our thoughts. We should think about them often. Not just once a year at their review date. We should be regularly asking whether they have what they need or whether they're overworking or discouraged. We should be praying much for them. The word also indicates that the thoughts we have about our leaders should be high thoughts. That includes holding them to a high standard as we saw in the last episode from 1 Timothy 5. But it also means that we won't entertain unfair thoughts about them in our own minds or in the words of others. We'll defend their reputation when that is appropriate. We'll encourage people to bring concerns to the leaders rather than entertaining gossip about them. If we don't do so, we're disobeying the Apostle Paul's command in 1 Timothy 5 that accusations against elders must not be entertained lightly. Esteeming our leaders highly does not mean putting them on a pedestal where they're untouchable or idolised. We should be honest about their failings and weaknesses, as well as their successes and strength. They should be among us. Again, remember 1 Thessalonians 5, among you, 1 Thessalonians. Not far from us. We should be close to them, but we should hold them dearly in our hearts and look up to them as examples, as they should be. It's especially important to maintain this attitude when they admonish us. And remember, that's something God has called them to do, to rebuke, admonish us. That's not an easy thing for them to do. And when they do it, rather than being defensive, we should be appreciative that they cared enough to do it, and we should respond well to their challenge. It's a really good thing when someone cares enough about you to show you your sin. And even if the leader gets it wrong occasionally, if we're humble before God, where is the harm in them helping us? The thirdly, the third word for the attitude we should have to leaders, according to 1 Thessalonians 5, is so familiar that it can easily become empty of real meaning. We must love our leaders. Love results from the respect and esteem for leaders, and it's also the fount from which those attitudes flow. Someone might say this is obvious. Christians are, after all, commanded to love everyone, even their enemies. Yet somehow the one class of person many Christians seem to neglect to love is their pastors. Christians often say when they hear me or someone else from living leadership speaking about the need to love and care for their leaders, that they've never thought of it like this before. They knew they should respect their leaders. They may even be willing to submit to and obey them, but they never thought of their leaders as people needing care and love. They assume that their leaders are strong, wise and resilient. Without intending to do so, they exclude the leaders from the community of believers needing care and support. Now the word translated love in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 13 is the Greek word agape. 
Most Christians are probably aware that this is the predominant word used in the New Testament for God's love for us and the love Christ commands us to have for one another. It's not exactly a technical term for Christian love originating with God. It's used in other ways, both in the Bible and and more widely, but it does come close to that. Now, this kind of love has two defining qualities. Firstly, it is sacrificial, willing to pay a price and give up things of lesser value for the sake of the other person, just as Christ sacrificed himself for us. But secondly, this is selfless love. Now, perhaps that sounds like the same thing as sacrificial, but that's not necessarily true. And the person I learned that from is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian who died during World War II. Bonhoeffer, in his classic book, Life Together, describes a human love of one's neighbour capable of prodigious sacrifices that he says often far surpasses genuine Christian love in fervent devotion and visible results. But he warns that this human love, as he calls it, is directed to the other person for the sake of the lover, not the beloved. It's selfish. As such, Bonhoeffer writes, it loves that person not as a free person, but as the one whom it binds to himself. It wants to gain, to capture by every means. It uses force. It desires to be irresistible, to rule. I think Bonhoeffer is right that human love for others always has a selfish element. We want approval or reward or simply to feel good about ourselves. Even the purest of human loves, that of a parent for a child is tainted with some expectation of return, to feel pride in our child's achievements, for example. And the love between leaders and those they lead can certainly be selfish, even if it is sacrificial. I know how easily I, as a pastor, can take pride in the visible fruits of my ministry and turn people into a means to the end of my vision, rather than giving myself up for them. But that temptation works in the other direction too. Christians think they love their leaders because they give generously or even sacrificially for their support. But there can be a selfish aspect to this love. They expect a return, and the fondness may quickly disappear when the pastor is struggling. Genuine Christian love, by contrast, commits to the good of others for the sake of Christ, rather than for our own sake or even for the other person's sake. So what would it look like for you to love your leaders sacrificially and selflessly? I'm not suggesting that means an endless toleration of poor performance. Honest review is a loving thing. No one is served by a church pretending all is well with its leadership when it's not. That scenario usually ends up with people quietly drifting away from the church or with a bust-up when buried frustrations eventually become too much to contain. Be honest about leadership feelings, but be authentic in your love for leaders when they make mistakes and even if they are failing. They are still brothers or sisters in Christ, 
Do not exclude them from the family. Be patient with them and ready to forgive. Care for them as you would have them care for you. And be careful to examine where selfishness may cause you to turn them, your leaders, into a means to your end, rather than caring for them as the beloved children of God. A leader must never turn the people he or she leads into a means to an end, even if that end is good in itself. But we who are led must not turn our leaders into a means to our end. I want you to preach a certain way for me. I want you to run the church a certain way for me or for my family. I want you to watch over my soul, but I'm not loving that person in return. So in conclusion, in this episode, we've thought about the right attitude that we should have to our leaders with the help of 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 12 to 13. Perhaps the reason Christians struggle so much in contemporary settings to have the right attitude towards their leaders is because we lack the right attitudes to all people. We should be learning from Christ to honour people and to love them. Of course, this can be especially difficult with people who are over us if we've had negative experiences of leadership in the past. But it's vital for the health of the church that we notice what our leaders are doing, that we give them our leading thoughts, and that we learn to love them, respect, esteem, and love. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 13, Be at peace among yourselves. He wants a community of harmony where the peace of God, the shalom of God, is evident between people. And if we want to see that, then loving our leaders is going to be key because otherwise we'll have endless conflict and dissatisfaction. These heart attitudes are essential, but they mustn't remain in the realm of our thoughts and affections. They should lead us to the right actions towards our leaders. That's the focus of the final episode in this series in which we'll look at Hebrews 3 verse 17. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders, or you can visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. Blessings. Blessings.